coming up in today's Film Disruptors. I think it's more important really to focus on the uh, production side of things because that's really where the disruption and the innovation is in my mind right now. That might sound a little bit counterintuitive, but I think if you if you don't think about today, but five years from now, I think that's where the disruption actually is going to be. Hello and welcome to Film Disruptors with me, Alex Stoltz, where we share insights and strategies from the leaders who are redefining and reimagining film and storytelling. And I am delighted to welcome Hanno Bass to the show. Hanno sets the technology agenda for 20th Century Fox with his role as Chief Technology Officer. This essentially means he is at the fulcrum of tech and Hollywood and working across all the major consumer industrial and tech trends in entertainment right now. A lot of Hannah's work, as you might imagine, is very much focused about thinking on the future of the entertainment industry. And so today's show provides this hugely privileged insight into this and, well, the future of Hollywood, from green lighting to production and distribution. Hanno was incredibly generous with the breadth and depth of knowledge that he shared with me and us on the show. In fact, so much so, it was simply too much fantastic information for just one episode. So this episode is in two parts. Part one, which you are listening to now, is all about the trends and technologies changing production, including things like gaming tech and VR. This is also when Hanno talks about some of the macro trends the industry is facing right now, as well as his role as CTO. Part two covers distribution and audiences, including digital marketing, direct-to-consumer strategies, and Hanno's take on the cinema exhibition experience. And he also, when Hanno talks about his advice for emerging storytellers. If you're enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a couple of ways to stay in touch. Firstly, subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's now called. Just click subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. You can also sign up for updates at the home of Film Disruptors. That's www.alexstoltz.com. Just enter your email to receive all the latest Film Disruptors news and episodes straight to your inbox. And this is where you can also access previous episodes, find out more about our featured guests, and get in touch. So that just leads me to say thank you for listening. And now I'm going to hand you over to Hanno Bass. And I started the show by asking Hanno about his role as CTO at Fox. Sure. Uh, incidentally, actually, I'm the first chief technology officer at 20th Century Fox film ever had. Uh, so I was hired in uh, April of 2012, so I've been here six and a half years. Um, some of the other studios, by the way, have CTOs, but not all of them do. Um, for a variety of reasons. Um, but uh, the reason why I'm here and what I'm doing is I'm responsible for the uh, for the uh, uh, technology strategy of the studio. So we're looking at uh, very broadly um, technology technology trends in the world, if you will. I mean, I don't want to even make it narrower than that at this point. And what these emerging technologies mean for the entertainment industry and how they change consumer behavior uh, in all facets of their lives. And then eventually, okay, what does that mean for uh, how they um, 
how they consume content, uh, entertainment content. And so that's like in very broad strokes what I do. Uh, obviously, I, my daily job doesn't look quite that broad. So um, uh, basically what we do is we, I, I cover, you know, uh, the movie life cycle basically from beginning to end. So I have a group that fo focuses primarily on production and post-production technology and engineering issues. Then I have a, a small group uh, dealing with uh, theatrical distribution and the technology aspects of that. And then I have uh, a fairly large group also uh, dealing with uh, the home entertainment side of things. So, you know, whether that's a uh, physical distribution like uh, discs, you know, DVDs, Blu-rays, uh, you, you won't believe it, but the, still the majority of our home entertainment business is, is physical, but then obviously we have a lot of focus on, on digital distribution uh, to, to people's homes. And so, so that's kind of fundamentally uh, what we do, but then obviously we need to, uh, you know, as, as the world around us changes with, you know, OTT streaming, with vir virtual reality, with, uh, you know, high dynamic range, uh, you know, imaging and so on and so forth, we need to figure out, okay, how is that, what do we do with that? And and how does that help our business grow? And how do, how does it basically at the end of the day help us uh, uh, tell stories in a more immersive, in a more, uh, you know, uh, appealing way to, to our consumers? Wow. That's a, uh, that's a, a broad, but, fascinating remit yeah. you, you have there. and what um t just tell me a little bit about your your background Hanno. in terms of uh I, I i did you come more from the tech side or or from the film entertainment side or both so i'm an i'm an engineer uh by training uh i uh grew up at early stages of my career doing um digital radio and then digital uh television so that was in the early 90s when that all just took off. Um, and so that really helped me in my career because, uh, you know, at that time there wasn't a whole lot of engineers that actually knew what digital television was or how digital signal processing actually was applied for video and audio. Uh, and so that's kind of where my career started. Um, I came, I'm actually originally from Germany. Uh, so I moved to the U.S. in 1997 to come work for DirecTV in their broadcast systems engineering department. Uh, started as a simple staff engineer there and uh, worked my way up to basically running the uh, broadcast systems engineering group there. Um, you know, where, you know, I led projects like the transition to, from SD to HD TV. Uh, I built their first video on demand uh, system uh, figured out how we can do 3D and a, and a, and a bunch of other things. Um, so, and that really kind of, and there was always this intersection between the technology, you know, that you need to distribute content, but with also with uh, the technology that you need to produce content. And so uh, always tried to have really good relationships with our program providers, um, you know, all the different TV channels, the movie studios and so on. Um, and so it, it was always at that intersection of, okay, here's technology as a means to an end to really get entertainment to people, whether that's a sporting event or a movie or a TV show or the news. Um, so that's what I did at DirecTV. And then uh, that really set me up for uh, this position at, at, at Fox here. 
And so when I got here in the beginning, I spent more time on the distribution side of things because that's where my background is. But more lately, I think I think it's more important really to focus on the production side of things because that's really where the disruption and the innovation is in my mind right now. That might sound a little bit counterintuitive, but I think if you if you don't think about today, but five years from now, I think that's where the disruption actually is going to be. Well, let's. Uh, well, we're all about disruption on on this show. So let's uh, let, let's start. Let's jump in there, Hanno, because um, I'm fascinated to hear about that. Uh, yeah. You know that that space. I mean, what what do you what do you see happening in the next five years, or or you know the opportunities out there? Yeah, but before I go there, just sure. a, a very short comment on on the state of the industry today. So here. What we're seeing today is we see a huge fragmentation of our audience, right? So, you know, with, uh, you know, more, you know, streaming services out there and, and they all need, you know, original content to basically differentiate it from any from their, their service from somebody else's service. Uh, so we see this explosion of original content. Uh, you know, Netflix is working on several hundred shows at the same time right now. And and, and our studio, our TV studio, we make about 50 shows right now in parallel and so on and so forth. And um, uh, Warner Media today just announced uh, that they're going to now go into the, the streaming business um, with a direct-to-consumer service. Uh, so they'll need to generate a lot of original content there as well. So. So that's what's happening today. And so we're already in the middle of this and, and need to figure out how to play. I mean, obviously Fox here, we're being acquired by by Disney uh, for the same reason, you know, okay, how do you aggregate enough content to be able to create a standalone direct-to-consumer uh, uh, business? So that's all happening. I think a lot of your listeners know about this, so I'm not gonna spend more time on that. So. What I've been thinking about for the last few years here is, um, and been you know, researching this, and 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 we've done a lot of work here is, if you're a movie studio, you know, five to ten years from now, will it still be enough for you to be a competitive business uh, if you just make movies and nothing else? And to me personally, I think the answer to that is no. And so the question then is, okay, what does the future product of a movie studio need to look like in order to be competitive in the market and especially you know, to be uh, appealing not just to uh, millennials but actually the even the younger the younger generation that's that's growing up after that um, and so um, so what do you need to do and we think it's movies plus so if you um, take a big uh, franchise like let's say star wars or avatar or harry potter or something like that how do you you know people will you know need a, a story to be told to them so they understand what the world looks like you know what what it is uh what the rules of the world are what the you know some of the main protagonists you need stories that and 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 protagonists of that story that you can relate to that kind of take you through this journey and and but then once you are done once you've understood the core narrative and it really resonated with you and you really like it then you want to be able to um uh, explore this world a little bit more on your own right if you 
you know, let's say we're going to come up with with, with uh, Avatar in a couple of years, and that's obviously a seminal uh, piece of IP. And I'm sure a lot of people would love to figure out, okay, what does it actually feel like to walk around Pandora, right? So wouldn't you want to be able to put on, you know, uh, a set of, you know, VR glasses and then basically just be immersed in that world or Hogwarts or, uh, you know, uh, the Millennium Falcon or stuff like that. And so we clearly think that there's a, there, there's, there's a, you know, a consumer demand and, and, and this will increase over time. The same is true for, for just, you know, 2D, 2D, uh, or 3D, you know, but flat screen games, uh, you know, TV shows, or, you know, episodic content based off of the franchise that was launched with the movie and so on and so forth. And so basically uh, you're looking at, you're creating an, a universe of experiences that are all anchored in the core narrative that you were told in a movie. And so that's kind of fundamentally how I look at the world now is that, that, that you know, Hollywood needs to move in that direction and we've tried that with fits and starts over the years with you know behind the scenes um uh video we in some cases we did produce games and and stuff like that related to a to a movie but uh, what we haven't really done is is look at this as a holistic product those were all kind of after the fact kind of sidecar um projects that we did. And, and I think what, what needs to change here really is that we need to look at this holistically. So when we, um, when we talk about making a movie, when we talk about green lighting it, when we look at the, uh, at the P and L, uh, so that basically the budget and, 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 uh, profit expectations for a movie, um, we need to take those things into account. And then actually when we also produce the movie, when we make it, we need to figure out how you make all these things in unison. So what happens, for example, if we create a game today that's associated with a movie, we'll make the movie and it's one team, that's one you know, uh, pipeline, and then somebody totally different typically takes a license from us for that IP and creates the game. Uh, basically from scratch to get some reference material uh, from the from the movie production, but overall they created all from scratch. Um, so in the future, I, I, I believe, and I think that that's becoming more common uh, a narrative in, in Hollywood now is that these things need to be integrated. Yeah, I mean, so so from that, really, it's like you say, it's it, it's it's not it's not just an add-on, though, is it? And um, it's about re rethinking. Well, I guess you really you you are really thinking not just the production process, but the way a studio thinks about its business. It, it, yeah, it, it's it's really very very fundamental. It's I think the um, you know if you and this is my personal opinion, so maybe not everybody is going to agree with me, including at Fox here, maybe. But if you look at the transition that the movie industry did from uh, you know, analog, so to say, you know, production basically on 35 millimeter or 65 millimeter film to um, digital, we still operate like a film studio as if we're shooting everything on film, 
and 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 so on. So what happened was, except for visual effects, everywhere else, I think the um, the production workflow in digital basically mimics what it was on film. So we haven't really taken advantage of the fact that we're not all digital. In bits and pieces, yes, but if if you look at the the organizational structure of a studio. If you look at the workflow, how movies are done, it's basically we took whatever we did for film and we're doing the same thing digitally now. Uh, you know, we write a script, we do principal photography, it goes into editorial, it goes into the uh, digital intermediate, which is basically color timing and, um, you know, uh, uh, sound conformance and, and what have you, and then the thing goes out. We're not really trying to take advantage of the fact that it's all digital. Uh, and so that's that's what we're trying to do now. And uh, um, what uh, really, and so from an organizational standpoint, from a structural standpoint, I think that needs to, that, that changes how movies are made and, and how they're actually marketed also. Uh, and, uh, and so fundamentally, yes, how, how does that change? And obviously change is never easy. Uh, and, and it'll take a while still, I think, for the industry to really embrace this. But uh, but at the same time, again, we're seeing a lot of movement in that direction now because people see, hey, there's 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 actually really um, opportunities here from a storytelling perspective, but also actually, frankly, from a commercial perspective. Um, and, and technology actually helps us also get there. So uh, you know, um, if you think about uh, gaming versus visual effects, there's a lot of the same fundamental uh, things happening, right? You need to create an environment uh, that needs to be built in some piece of software. Uh, that's, you know, Maya or something like that. Um, you need to make characters. Uh, characters, you know, have you know, limbs, they have legs, they have arms, they've got a head, they've got a torso of some sort, they have certain style of movement and all that sort of things. So you need to you need to rig them so you can animate them. They have muscles, they have this and that. And those problems are all the same for whether you create a, a game or a, a visual effect shot. The difference between the two is that the game has to work in real time. So because it it's not predictable what the player is going to do, where he's going to look, how he's going to interact with whatever happens in the game. Whereas on the movie side, you know exactly what you want out of the shot. So you know exactly what's going to happen in every frame. And so you can basically take your time and um, generate these, these, um, uh, you know, these shots uh, in non-real time. I mean, we have... Uh, like the one favorite example is the uh, the sequence in um, War of the Planet of the Apes, uh, which we released last year. There's a sequence in the end where there's a, like an avalanche coming down a mountain and and you know uh, killing basically all the human soldiers and only the apes survive. Uh, the actual scene takes maybe I don't know four or five minutes in the movie. It took about twelve weeks to render. Uh, you know, with, with a pretty sizable render form. And so how do you, how do you 
marry that with uh, the needs of a real-time environment. So that that's a huge issue here, but we're but technology is helping us here uh, as well it's a, because the real-time uh, tools that we have, uh, game engines, are becoming really, really, uh, uh, really, you know advanced now in terms of, of, of uh, visual fidelity. Um, what's actually really funny is we're using more and more re real-time tools in visual effects development. So people now use game engines to, to do look development of a character. Um, the reason why that is is just it's actually much more convenient for the director to sit there with an artist and say, hey, move this here, move this there, and oh, I like it now. In the past it was Oh, I don't like the, the like the nose. It's too big, and the ears are too small, and change the hue of the skin and whatever. And then people would work on that, press render, and then five days later come back and show a new reference piece. And then the director will, would say, "Oh no, that's too much, or that's too little. Do that again." So you can now do this in real time iteratively by using real time tools, which means, okay, now you know we actually have real time assets here that. Um, that we can probably directly use in a, in a real-time environment, in a real-time experience, even though they weren't really made with that in mind. And then again, if the if the director knows that that's what's going on here, that this asset that he's he's approving right now isn't just for the movie; it's also for a real-time uh, experience of some sort. You know, that helps them get their head around how to do this and. Uh, and it helps us save time and cost at the end of the day. That's really what this is about, right? This, uh, how do you not just uh, maintain the creative intent, but you know, can you also save save cost and, and time doing that? I mean, what's happening today? If you look at a, a tentpole movie, you know, with a with a very sizable visual effects um, budget, um, there's an army of people, thousands of people, artists and engineers working on on these visual effects assets. And once the movie is wrapped, all that gets stored on some hard drive. That hard drive goes on somebody's shelf, and we're done here, which is a total waste if you really think about it. You know, a lot of an army of people worked on this just so this ended up in one shot that maybe even ended ended up on on the cutting room floor or. You know, people watch the movie and that's that. And so, so we really need to figure out, can we leverage all this work that happened in in multiple venues, not just the movie per se? Mm. Yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's a combination, I guess, of creating efficiencies in the process. Mm. That's right. But also using the story and the assets created to to generate yeah. more uh, more experiences more products right. Uh, right. that you can that you can you can sell i guess yeah. but also right. or, or, or use to market well yeah for promotional purposes yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Um, but that's that's also you know that, that that's it makes complete sense on a on an avatar uh, and a star wars um it, it do you do you then sort of think that this is you need to be making those type of movies, or or do you think this these trends can also apply for 
a wider range of stories like uh, I, I don't know I think 20th Century Fox if I'm if I'm not mistaken released Hidden Figures I don't know why that just came yes. to me but it's yeah. you know, a fantastic mm-hmm. movie yeah um, and profitable as far as mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, and I wonder whether these type of yeah I guess I guess it works particularly well when there's a lot of visual effects already in the movie and, that's right, and yes. I guess I guess mm-hmm. that's I guess that's a key point mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. thinking about story world and cross media kind of uh, iterations of a story um points yeah, to maybe yeah. one type of type of content perhaps yeah I, I think really uh What's important there, I, th- I think where this works best is if the world that the movie takes place in is a different world than what we're used to. So if you're, if you watch, a, you know, a drama, I mean, uh, Hidden Figures, that's a period um, uh, piece. So, so that, you know, it takes back, place in the, in, in the, in the 50s and 60s. So that's a little bit different. But if you have like a contemporary drama of some sort, uh, viewers probably don't feel the need to be immersed in a particular scene, uh, unless it's like um, if it's more of an action uh, title and it's in some exotic locale, then that's different. Um, but but it, it's really you know where we see this working the best is if we if you can transport people into a different world that they could not, which is something that I think virtual reality is, is, is best at, is put people into experiences or into worlds that they could never ever uh, do in real, in real life, in the real world. Um, and so that's, I think there's a little bit of a distinction there. But, uh, but you know, the, another thing that, that might actually help kind of get to where, you know, what you're saying here is that, um, we're seeing uh, pre-visualization take more and more of a prominent role. So in the past, you would use previs primarily to to kind of uh, storyboard, you know, storyboard complex shots. So you have, you know, some uh, some action sequence of some sort. You have six cameras all in different you know locations at different angles, and you're trying to figure out. How can I shoot this sequence? How can I make this work in terms of camera placement? In terms of, uh, you know, uh, which path my action takes here? What props I have? What uh, you know, environment? What set do I have? Uh, vehicles? What have you? And, and you typically in the past you used previous primarily to mock that kind of stuff up and make sure. Oh, I know my A camera is here. My B is here. My C is there. I use this lens here, I use this lens here, this camera is on a boom, this camera is on a dolly, this, and you, you kind of figure it out that way. So that's what previous used to be used for. Now, actually, we see previous being used to basically uh, kind of storyboard the entire movie or, or long sequences of a movie to also figure out from a dramatic, from a storytelling standpoint, does this actually work? Uh, and if that becomes more uh, prolific, then I think because here you're that's all not now nowadays done in real time in in in, in game engines. So we're using uh, Unreal or Unity a lot to do pre-visualization now. If that becomes more and more common, uh, to the point where actually green light decisions are being made on 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 the studio executives actually seeing a previous version of the movie. 
then you know that'll help you know with all kinds of of materials because you already have the 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 content made that you needed for the previs okay with a little bit of extra work you can actually turn that into something that that even a consumer might want to watch so so th- 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 there are things um uh you know especially if you think about uh short form episodic uh we're getting to the point now where you can make short short form content uh cheaper uh in you know in digital than it would cost you to 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 actually get a crew together build a set and shoot it in live action there's examples of that now where you know you know doing a digital ends up making it cheaper mm. and so i mean that's fascinating so you know it, it pre you know thanks for explaining previous it's from my understanding it's it was previous it, it looked it used to look like a sort of a bad computer game i guess and and yeah. you you could mock up your scenes and so you you could rehearse that what you wanted to do and yeah. and create efficiencies. But how far how far can you push that? Is it do you foresee that I mean you've suggested you've already said that some some people are making short movies in, in, in digitally in this way. can you do you see a situ a scenario where the whole movie is prevised and it's determined and when you come to shooting it's literally just a case of capturing manufacturing yeah. yes yeah so we, we actually uh, we haven't um we have one movie in the pipeline right now where we've actually done exactly that um it's a uh, call of the wild it comes out uh end of next year uh where basically the entire movie was previst first uh and because we we you know we had to figure out you know um how is this movie going to work uh and is it going to justify the budget that we're that we need to put against it it's you know dogs in the wilderness and so it's very very heavy on on visual effects so which means it's also expensive and 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 they they came back with a cut that that you know everybody liked and felt confident in and then so now we're making the movie so so and i think this is going to happen more more and more frequently like a test, uh, like a uh, a test of um, concept, yeah. proof of concept. Yeah, and, and what happened? What happened was so the director uh, you know, directed the previous, and so a lot of the uh, creative decisions were made during that stage. So um, you know, he created more content than he ended up using in the in the final cut, uh, and which is great because you know it was all done, um, you know, with a with a few digital artists in a game engine so it saved us a lot of money if we had to shoot it and you know finish it with with the visual effects and everything else i mean it would have cost us you know tens of millions of dollars uh that we saved this way by just not uh, not shooting it by basically just figuring out okay make all the creative decisions up front and say okay this cadence this timing you know this scene with this uh, with this uh, you know duration that actually works so we we now have a cut where we know that the timing is right uh that the the emotional arc you know plays plays well the story arc plays well and so i I actually expect to see that more and more um and and as we do that more um you know then uh, uh i think we end up with more content 
from that side of the pipeline and who, which I think we can leverage. Uh, and we have examples of how we can leverage that actually. Um, it, it's, it's really a very exciting uh, future, but again, uh, it changes how movies are made. It changes when, you know, what, what a director needs to do, what, what his job actually is. So he basically, you know, long-term, I think really the, the expectation will be that they make this movie in previous first, get it approved by the studio, and then the studio says, okay, now you can go ahead and spend money and shoot it and, and finish it. And so, and, and again, a lot, most of the creative decisions, not all of them, obviously, um, you know, acting and so on and spur of the moment inspiration clearly plays a role here. But especially for the more technical kind of stuff, uh, the technical kind of shots, uh, all the decisions are made in previous and not, not on set. So, so you know that, and 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 it helps. Uh, I mean, it really, from a studio perspective, really uh, reduces the risk, right? I mean, we've, I mean, all the studios here, we've all, you know, keep, we keep running into situations where, halfway through the movie, we we figure out that we don't really have a movie, and we need to make changes until we've, you know, make it work. Um, and those those issues are. Uh, costly, uh, you know, in terms of uh, money and uh, and and time to market and so on. We have to redate movies, which is typically not a good thing, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, hmm. so so that, that that. But again, that drives to what I said before. Okay, how do you think about this from a studio organizational structure? From an industry structure, uh, I think a lot of things uh, will change in the next few years, uh, especially because if, if you know uh, this this notion of asset reuse uh, becomes more and more prevalent. So that was Fox CTO Hanno Bass in conversation on film disruptors, and that was part one. Part two, which will be available soon, if not now, features Hanno's take on distribution, exhibition, marketing, and the direct-to-consumer strategies which are currently sweeping the entertainment industries. If you want to find out more about Hanno, listen to other episodes, or get in touch, please visit alexstoltz.com. And if you are enjoying the show, you can also subscribe on iTunes, and feel free to leave a review. So that's it for this episode. I'd like to say thank you again for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon. As anyone listening to this show for a while will know, the business of storytelling is something I'm personally very passionate about. And when I'm not interviewing film disruptors, I love applying this passion and using my expertise to help independent storytellers and filmmakers accomplish their goals and get stories made and seen. I do this by working with storytellers intensively or over a longer period to develop the project and strategy for maximum finance, distribution and commercial impact. If you are a filmmaker or storyteller and would like to find out more about how I can help your project, I'd love to hear from you please go to alexstoltz.com or just drop me an email at alex at alexstoltz.com. Alex